going to ask you to open your Bibles with me, if you would, to Isaiah chapter 1, if it's not already open there. We were reading there just a moment ago with John. Isaiah chapter 1. Now, he read from verses 10 down through verse 18. And I'm going to uh, begin there this morning. This morning's message is meant to be an introduction, and it will be the first of an introduction to a series of messages that uh, will be called the Christ, the Comforter, and the Complete Salvation. If you'll put your ribbon here in Isaiah for a second and go to John, just hold your Bible. You can just hold it in your hand. We're just going to go to sections in your Bible. If you go to John, you can go to John, anywhere in John, John chapter 1, if you want to just go to the beginning of the book of John. We're going to look together at the book of John. This won't be a quick study. It will be a, um, it will be a thorough study. But we're going to look at the Christ in the Gospel of John. And what we're going to realize is that the Messiah, the Christ, the promised one, is going to help mankind to understand what's going on. So the Christ has come because we need God to be able to approach us without judgment. And so he becomes flesh. God himself becomes flesh. So he can live with us and live the life that none of us have lived. So he can live a perfect life. And then he can lay down that perfect life for all of us. So he can be the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And so that's what we see in John. But you're going to see as we do this study that all throughout the Gospel of John, the promise is that I have come because this is what the promise is in the Old Testament. And God the Father is about to change everything. The Christ coming is half of the promise. In other words, your sins and iniquities I will remember no more. That's necessary. But it's necessary so that the promise can be completed. And the completion of the promise is that the Holy Ghost or the Comforter would come. Listen, and I know I've said this a number of times, but I'm really beginning to enter into this in a, in a, in a full understanding, and that is this. What is greater? Emmanuel means God with us. And Jesus is Emmanuel. He is God with us. But he says himself in John, it is expedient, it's important, it's necessary for you that I go. That I go to be with the Father. Because if I don't go, I can't send the Holy Ghost. So what is better, what is greater, what is more important to you and I than God living on the earth with us? And the answer is God living in you and I. Because that's the actual promise. And we're going to see that together this morning. We're going to begin to see together this morning that the, the promise, what's, I almost titled this message, what's wrong with Adam? What's wrong with Adam? Not what's wrong with Israel. Israel's just Adam. What's wrong with Adam? And the, cho- and the answer is Adam chose the knowledge of good and evil over the tree of life. See, Jesus came that we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly. But life is being a new creature. We're going to see this. In fact, tonight we begin another series, which will very much go with this series, and that's going to be living your new life, living your new life. It is really meant to help young Christians and even older Christians understand what it means to live this new life that Christ came that we might have. In fact, we're going to see together that he came that we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly. And 
American Christianity is not living an abundant Christian life. American Christianity is so confused about what that is. And so God helping us, God really truly God helping us, I, I am completely and wonderfully convinced that this is exactly what God has always wanted to do. And I really believe, I don't think it's always been true, but in my lifetime it's always been true. The, the entire time that I have been saved, and I've been saved now for, what is it, 27 years or something like that? I don't know, 37 years, 37 years, I guess. 37 years, I've been saved for 37 years. The entire time I have had a sense that there was something that we weren't doing well in entering into what it is that God would have for us. And it has to do as much with preaching and teaching as it does with living. And, th- and what's missing is this, understanding what the power of the Holy Spirit is, what it looks like, how important it is to us. Not only that, that it isn't something that the church accomplishes, it's something that God the Father accomplishes because he promised to do so. Now, so after John, if you turn into the book of Acts, in the book of Acts, we have the comforter coming. You just got, all you got to do is read the first 10 verses of Acts, and you realize Jesus is going to say, uh, well, I guess I could read it. It says in verse 4, right, Acts chapter 1, verse 4, he said, and being assembled together, now this is the resurrected Christ, right, and being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but, and then it goes into a quote, Wait for the promise of the Father. Underline that in your Bible. The promise of the Father. This is not the promise of the church. This is not the promise of Christians. This is not even the promise of the Son. This is the promise of the Father. And this promise is not given in the New Testament. This promise is fulfilled in the New Testament. This promise is given. By the way, this promise is originally given in Genesis chapter 3 where God promises the serpent, don't worry, I'm going to address you, and her seed will crush your head. It's all going to come to nothing. I'm going to rescue all of mankind. Adam may have failed, but the last Adam won't fail. Second man won't fail. And he is the seed. By the way, that same seed promise is given later. Abraham is told that in thee all the nations of the earth will be blessed through thy seed. Now, this is explained to us in the New Testament. Not seeds as in the nation of Israel. Not seeds as in many. Seed as in one seed, a single seed. And that seed is Christ. And so what we see here is that the promise of the Father is that he's going to send forth. Right, You're waiting for the promise of the Father. For it says in verse 5, for John truly baptized with water. But ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost, not many days hence. And again, this is not a new promise. This is the fulfilling of an old promise. This is God rescuing Adam, you and me, from being alone in the choices that we made. He's going to come. He has already come to pay for our sins so that instead of walking toward us in judgment, he can walk toward us in love. And he can pour out his spirit within us. And he said, now we can have real fellowship. You chose the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but I'm giving you life. You didn't choose the tree of life, but I'm giving it to you anyway. I'm rescuing you from your own choice. God is still today rescuing everyone from their own choices. That is why he has come to earth, so that we could understand clearly, I've come to seek 
and to save that which was lost. And that's everything. It wasn't just you. It wasn't just me. The entire planet was lost. The purposes of God were put down by Adam. And Jesus said, I've come to restore all of that. And here he says, and now it's time for us to come and live inside you. That's the promise. And then when you go to the book of Acts, and that's, that's, so the study is going to cover three books. And you say, how long can it take to study John, Acts, and Romans? And my answer is, I don't know. <laughs> but not a week. In the book of Romans, the, 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 the focus... Now, by the way, Romans is the first epistle. The epistles are where God starts to explain what's going on. And now I've said this a number of times, but when I was saved, you know what I understood? This is what I understood. I had peace with God. I knew it. I had peace with God. You say, what else did you understand? Not a lot. I had peace with God. My sins were forgiven and I knew it. I was guilty before and I was not guilty anymore. I knew it was the blood that had done that. I knew it was the cross that had purchased my forgiveness. I understood that God purposed to rescue me if I would simply humble myself and ask him to forgive me my sins. I knew that something was new but I didn't understand what was new. I didn't even understand what new was, if you understand what I'm saying. And, it, and by the way, it really wasn't explained well to me. I'm not being unkind. I'm not being mean-spirited. It was simply now do this, now do this, now do this. And it's like, okay, you're right. I even want to do those things. But that's what's wrong with much of American Christianity. American Christianity is living in Romans chapter 7. The good that I would, I don't. The evil that I wouldn't, I do. Oh, wretched man that I am, who should deliver me from the body of this death? And the answer is Jesus already has delivered you from the body of this death. Stop walking after your flesh. Stop trying to impress each other in God. Start recognizing that without him, you can do nothing. We're not sufficient for these things. To collectively, we are not sufficient for these things. But praise God, we find that our sufficiency is of God. And so we'll see that as we get into the book of Romans. Now, back to Isaiah, if you will. Back to Isaiah chapter uh, 1. Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah chapter 1, the Lord led me to Isaiah chapter 1. I had no intention of starting here. It was actually during, uh, uh, as I was looking at something else, which we will look at together this morning, somehow the Lord brought me to Isaiah. I don't remember exactly how I got to Isaiah chapter 1, but I realized, oh, this is the preface to what we're looking at. Here's what the preface is. Israel, I am sick and tired of you coming into the temple with your sacrifices and spreading blood all over the place, and making a mess. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of it. Here's what God is saying. I'm tired of man's religion. I'm tired of man's religion. You want to know when God first said that he was tired of man's religion? He said it to Cain. When Cain approached God with the fruit that he had, that he had picked out of the field, and again, I believe that when Cain brought a basket of fruit, I believe it is the, I believe, honestly, I believe that it is probably the greatest basket of fruits and vegetables that has ever been picked ever in all of mankind. I believe that while they were growing, he was already picking them out. I'll give that one to God. I'll give that one to God. I'll give. I believe that I believe that Cain was completely sincere in wanting God to be impressed with the offering that he was bringing. And I believe it was a marvelous offering. I believe you and I would look at that offering and say, these are amazing. You grew these? Yeah, I grew those. This is wonderful. And God said, they are wonderful. Now take them out. Now take them out. You cannot approach me in your efforts, Cain. You cannot approach me in your efforts. You can come like your brother did. You can come by the blood. You got to come by the blood. You've got to understand 
that, that, that's, that you are guilty and someone has to pay for your guilt. You cannot buy your salvation with your good works. You cannot buy your salvation with your good works. You're going to have to receive your salvation by somebody else shedding blood for you. Amen? And that is, that is a, that is a tremendous, we see in, in Hebrews chapter 11, by faith, Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice. He simply trusted God. Cain did not trust God. Cain trusted Cain. And God, you can't trust yourself. You've got to trust me. And so what we realize is in Isaiah, let's look at it again. By the way, it says, John started in verse 10. It says, hear the word of the Lord, ye rulers of Sodom. Well, there's no Sodom. Give ear unto the law of our God, ye people of Gomorrah. There is no Gomorrah. They've been gone for a long, long time. So who are these people? Well, if you go back to verse 9, it says, Except the Lord of hosts left us a very small remnant, we should have been as Sodom, and we should have been as Gomorrah. In other words, Jerusalem herself should have been destroyed at this point. At this point, Israel is so far from God that they deserve the same judgment that had come upon Sodom and Gomorrah. How do you know that? Because he calls them that in verse 10. He says, listen to me. Listen to me. Your offerings are not what's keeping me from judging you because I'm sick of your offerings. How? Listen, ask me. Now answer this. You tell me how much church in America is full of filthy offerings, People doing things to impress God, just showing up to church as if God is impressed with showing up to church or tithing or, or giving to missions or serving in the nursery or serving ministry to children as if somehow this is going to... By the way, I grew up going to church where that's exactly what was preached and taught. Do a little bit better this week. Do a little bit better next week. And when we, it comes time to be judged, hopefully we'll get in. Well, that's not salvation. That's not salvation at all. In fact, that is not even the way to salvation. Salvation is this, you're guilty. Be honest about it. I'll rescue you from yourself. And all you do is raise your hand and say, that's me. That's me. I'm guilty. I'm guilty. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him, that's what faith is. That's what trust is. By faith, I simply trust in what Jesus has done. He is the one that did what needs to be done. And he did everything according to Galatians. Don't try to add anything to what Jesus has already done. Listen to me. Listen to me. Jesus plus something else is less than Jesus. Do you understand what I'm saying? When you try to add to what Christ has done, you detract from what Christ has done. What Jesus has done requires nothing else. Let me say that again. What Jesus has done requires nothing else. I'm sorry that many of you have been exposed to churches that are not worth being exposed to. I'm sorry if this church has ever behaved herself in such a way that it wasn't worth being exposed to. But that's not Jesus. Do you understand? It is our desire. It is our desire here at Tidewater Baptist Church that all we would do, literally, that all that we would preach and teach, that all that we would do in the way that we live our lives is that everybody would look to Jesus, who is the author and finisher of our faith. That's it, period. Or behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Again, I know I've said it many, many times, but there's really only one message. It just depends upon who you're talking to. If you're talking to somebody who's lost, it's behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. 
if it's, you're talking to somebody who's saved, it's looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. But do you notice that in both times, we're looking in the same place. People who aren't saved need the lamb. People who are saved need the high priest. Amen? But in both cases, it's Jesus. In every case, it's Jesus. So if you're having a problem with church, I don't blame you. But don't have a problem with Jesus. You can doubt any religious institution that you want to, but don't doubt Jesus. But wouldn't it be wonderful? The church, by the way, is Christ's. It belongs to her. Do you understand that? We're not here of our own desire. We're not here because we thought, hey, you know what would be good? Let's make a club. And instead of the Moose Club, we'll call it the Jesus Club. That's not what happened. He said, I will build my church. So we're here on purpose. We're here because we are here because Jesus has built and is building and will continue to build his church until he comes to get her. Amen? And then in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, it's all going to change. And thank God for that. Amen? For Alan, that happened last night about 1030. Just like that. Took his last breath here. And he, by himself, was changed instantly. But I am looking for a trumpet call when we all get to get changed at the same time. And I seem to think it's coming very, very soon. I do not know why I feel so strongly about this. But I believe the sign of the times seems to indicate that we're getting to go home very soon. Amen. I believe that Jacob's trouble is about to truly begin. Now, again, that's a seven year tough time for, for Jacob. But on the other side of that seven years, she's going to see him whom they have pierced. They're going to recognize that Jesus of Nazareth is indeed the Christ. And they're going to worship him. They're going to serve him. They're going to be filled with the Holy Ghost and they're going to change the world. And then it appears the millennial reign will start after that. We'll, and I think maybe we'll come back. I know I've said this the other day. I don't know if it's going to be a volunteer basis, you know. We'll be, we'll be, we will have finished the, 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 uh, the wedding supper. We'll be done. And he'll say, I'm going back to the earth to rule for a thousand years. Would any of you like to go with me? Now, coming with Jesus might be enough to make me come back. Amen. But I'm not coming back if I'm not coming back with Jesus. Amen. Amen. I'm telling you, many of us have lost loved ones. And if you said to your loved ones, if the Lord said to your loved I think about it sometimes. Everybody was excited to see Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead, except for maybe Lazarus. Amen. It's like, no, Lord, I was fine. You know what I'm saying? You're here as a testimony to the power of God, if you understand what I'm saying. We, by the way, you're still here. You're a new, if you're a new creature, you have life. You have the same eternal life that you're ever going to have, and you're just here to do what you're supposed to do while you're here. But your new life has already started. We're going to see that together tonight. If you are in Christ, you are a new creature. You have the earnest. I don't know time. So that's tonight's message. Can't preach that right now. But they do go wonderfully together. So let's look at it. Let's look at what it says in verse, uh, in, in, uh, um, verse, verse 11. Let's, let's listen to, it. Listen to his, how he condemns the religion. To, now, by the way, look up here because it's important. Who to, he's gonna, at one point, he's going to say, well, let's just read it. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me, saith the Lord? I am full of the burnt offering of rams and the fat of fed beasts, and I delight not in the blood of bullocks or of lambs or of he goats. When you come to appear before me, who hath required this at your hand to tread my courts? Now look up here, because here's the answer to a confused Hebrew. You did. You did. This whole pattern, you set up this whole pattern. 
You told us not only how to come, but that we had to come. And what God is saying is this, you're not coming in your hearts. I have never wanted animals to be slaughtered. Never have I wanted that. Never was that my intention. That was not the point at all. When the lamb shed its blood, it was you putting your hand on it and recognizing that somebody who didn't do anything wrong is going to die for me who did everything wrong. And you don't feel that way about it. So stop doing it. Stop killing those poor animals. Stop wasting all of this time. I get nothing out of this. In fact, let's look at let's look what it says in verse 13. Bring no more vain oblations. Incense is an abomination unto me. The new moons and the Sabbaths, the calling of assemblies, I cannot away with it. It is iniquity, even the solemn meeting. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul, what's it say? Hateth. They are a trouble unto me. I am weary to bear them. And when you spread forth your hands, now everybody, I want you to picture this. You go ahead and do this with me. Just spread forth your hands. Go like this. Go like this, right? This is a sign of worship. Do you understand? This is a sign of worship. This right here, what this is, what this is symbolizing is this. I have nothing. I have nothing. And I rely upon you. If you want to, you can kneel down and look up and do this. It's been done many times. It, it seems very religious and symbolic at this point. But in, in reality, if, you've just, if you're at, you know, walking across your front yard and you suddenly are aware of who you are and who he is, you might just fall down and open up your hands and say, i got nothing. But thou art worthy. Thank you for loving me. Right? And what does he say about them doing this? It's a disaster. You want to know why? Because in the same way that most churches are full of a show, so were they. And God hates a show. God has no interest in a show. Most, most churches have become nothing but a, a spectacle. And God has no interest in a spectacle. He says, when you spread forth your hands, I'll hide mine eyes from you. Yea, when you make many prayers, I'll not hear you. Your hands are what? Full of blood. Wash you, make you clean. Put away the evil from before mine eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do well. Seek judgment. Relieve the oppressed. Judge the fatherless. Plead for the widow. Then he says, oh, this is a wonderful verse. Come now, and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Amen? Because here's what happens. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. All sin. Um, anybody ever stain a garment that you couldn't get clean? You know, one of the hardest, I mean, not, not that you care about this, but, you know, there's a thing called ring around the collar. You get it on your, you know, you get it on your neck, especially if you're from the north and you live in the south and you have to close your collar up and wear a tie and then you sweat while you're preaching. And even though you took a shower... You think, well, how, what, how can that possibly destroy the, that collar? But it can. And you know what happens? You throw the shirt away. Be- especially if it's a white shirt, because it just looks terrible. It's like I only need like, like a half inch of new material. I just need it right here. You know what I'm saying? Do you understand? But there's, I mean, not anybody, I heard Kenny say, hey, amen. He's even from the South. He says, amen. Here's the thing. You can't get it clean. You can't get it clean. But the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us. Really cleanses us. From all sins. There's no more stain. 
There's no more stain. You can't get rid of your sin. Cain couldn't get rid of his sin. Made him angry. Made him so angry, he killed his brother. Made him so angry. Can you imagine that? Sin made him so angry that he sinned worse. That's what sin does. Sin makes you so angry, you get angry. Then you do something stupid. And then you feel worse. Then you do something else stupid. You know what you can do instead? Stop. Just stop. Maybe fall down. Maybe hold out your hands. Maybe acknowledge that they are stained with blood. And say, Lord, make them white as snow. John did a good job in the Sunday school class this morning talking about the fact that we're going to go to heaven and we're going to be given a white robe. When I joined the military, they gave me my clothes. They were terrible clothes, but they gave them to me. I brought clothes with me, by the way. No, I'm good with these. No, you're not. Take those off. (laughs) Put this on. When you go to heaven, the robe of righteousness that you will wear will be given to you. Amen? It will be one that will be spotless because it will have Christ's righteousness and not your righteousness. How wonderful. How wonderful. This is, this is leading to the promise of God. I just wanted you to see that God recognized the need to rescue Adam from Adam. Israel's not unique. By the way, you, Israel was meant to be a light to the whole world. Yes? You say, well, maybe God, I mean, if Israel's so terrible, maybe God should go use Iran. And the answer is, no, they're just as bad. By the way, why, let's go back to this. Why did God use Israel to begin with? Why did God choose Israel? Because they were so great. Well, they weren't even. They didn't even exist. There was no Israel. There was a man, his name was Abraham, who was an idol worshiper. And God said to Abraham, Abraham, I want you to stop worshiping idols. I want you to come with me. I'm going to change everything. Amen? And Abraham said, okay. Where are you going? They said, Abraham, where are you going? I don't know. What are you going to do when you get there? I don't know. Just going with God. Not worshiping idols anymore, though. It's going to be great. My life's been changed. I have no idea what's going to happen, but I'm following the living and the true God now. And that's what I'm going to do. Now, two generations later, Jacob, kind of a brat, right? Jacob is born. And God says to Jacob, Jacob, I'm going to change your life. After I change your life, I'm going to give you a new name. Your new name's going to be Israel. And Israel was born. And Israel is the beginning of a nobody nation that God chose to use to change the world. Amen? And you say, Israel did a terrible job. The church is doing a terrible job. And the church is indwelt with the Holy Ghost. He was not. Do you understand that? I don't think you understand that. Well, that's the whole point of this series. I don't think American Christianity, American Christianity understands what the power of the Holy Ghost is. And because she doesn't understand what the power of the Holy Ghost is, the children of God are weak and anemic because they're trying to impress God or they're doing some strange, weird things and calling that the power of the Holy Ghost. The power of the Holy Ghost produces the fruit of the Spirit. That's what it is. Love, joy, peace, goodness, meekness, temperance, long-suffering, patience. You know who needs that? Everybody. Not just us. We need it, but the world needs to see it. Now, listen. It's really remarkable because if I understand my Bible correctly, even when we walk with God as we should, the world is still going to say, nah, I choose my sin. Largely, the world is still going to do that. But you want to know the real problem? As far as I'm concerned, this is the real problem. Right now, what the world can say and say honestly is they look at a bunch of weak, anemic, selfish brats going to church is I don't want that. 
And who can blame them for not wanting that? But if we'd walk like we should walk, then some will say, I do want that. That's what happened in my life. I happened to run into a couple actual Christians. Again, I rejected Christianity. I rejected God because I rejected Christianity. But I rejected Christianity because I hadn't run into many real Christians. And the Christians that I had run into were more worried about fitting in at work than walking with Jesus. Because it's hard to walk with Jesus in a wicked world. But then I met, uh, really specifically, one man who walked with Jesus. By the way, he walked with Jesus. When I met him, he was an E6, E5, E6, E6. Not that some of you care, some of you will. He made, as 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 a sincere, devout, godly man, he made E7, E8, and E9. And he got out of the Navy after a number of years. He was a great sailor. And more importantly, he was a great Christian. You can serve God and have your job. You can. Now, it may be hard. I feel bad for some of you. I really do. Some of you, I'm afraid, some of you, I, was, uh, I don't want to go into great detail because some of you would be sad if I say who I'm really concerned. I'm concerned for the next generation. I believe, I truly believe that this world is going to start behaving worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And by the way, be more comfortable doing it. I really believe that that's the case. I, be, I, I believe it's entirely possible that what took place in Nazi Germany is just a precursor to what's going to take place in the United States of America. And I think it's going to be, and nobody liked to hear that. You guys are almost dead quiet. Nobody wants to hear that. Nobody wants to hear I don't want to say it. I think it's what's going to happen, though. I think it's what's going to So here's the question. Are you going to be full of the Holy Ghost when that happens? Because that's going to rescue some people. Or are you going to be whining and fussing and complaining about how great America used to be? Because that's not going to help anybody. Jesus is still great. I, I agree. America used to be great. I, I, I grew up in, this, in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. America used to be great. I agree with that. Our military used to be great. Are you, our military, we, the, greatest, the greatest generation that have ever lived in, in, in my known lifetime probably won World War II rescued us from the Germans, selflessly gave their lives, parachuting in, by the way, behind and tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands went in and laid down their life to rescue my grandmother. Amen? Amen? That's amazing to me. That's, amazing. That's the blessings of God on our nation. And now we've decided that to turn our back on the God that gave us all of this. Completely. I don't have time to talk about this. I'm telling you, if you're not going to walk with God, you're not going to help anybody. But if you will walk with God, by the way, you'll be glad. I mean this. I really believe that one of the things that's going to come from the studies, you're going to be like, are you telling me that I can have love, joy, peace, goodness, meekness, temperance, long-suffering? I can have all those things right now? Yes. Not only can you, you're supposed to. It is the promise of God. It is a two-fold promise, the Christ and the Comforter. And that together gives you a complete salvation that nobody can do anything about. Amen? And you can live in Romans chapter 8 until you get so concerned about the people around you, you start living in Romans chapter 9. And Romans chapter 9 is just you weeping because there are people around you that you love that don't have Romans chapter 8. Amen? But you don't have to keep living in Romans chapter 7. And boy, that's, man, we'll get there. We'll get, we're not even close to Romans chapter 7, 8, 9 yet. All right, turn with me to, uh, we're, we're done here. Turn with me to Jeremiah. I'm going to be done. I'm going to, we have to cut this uh, short. Let's go to Jeremiah chapter 31. I want you to see this is, the, this is the promise. This is not the only place that this promise is, but this is one place in your Bible that the promise is very clear. 
So go to Jeremiah 31, 31. Is that easy to remember or not? Jeremiah 31, 31. Jeremiah 31, 31. And we're going to look at verses 31 through 34. Jeremiah 31, 31. Listen to this. Here, here's what he says. Now, by the way, look up here because it's important. Israel is under judgment in Jeremiah. Israel is under judgment. Israel is under judgment. Israel is going into captivity, right? Lamentations is written by the same human servant as Jeremiah. It's Jeremiah. And he's going to say, looking at a destroyed Jerusalem, great is God's faithfulness. Because God said this is what was going to happen if we didn't repent, and we didn't repent, and now we're in captivity. Okay, so I want you to understand this promise is given. It couldn't be worse when this promise is given. And and yet listen to the promise. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make what? A new covenant. We're going to talk about that starting tonight. A new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break. Although I was an husband unto them, saith the Lord. In other words, look at this important. What he's saying is this. I made a great covenant with them. I said this. If you will walk with me, I will take care of you. And this is what they said. We'll do that. By the way, when they said they will do that, the prophet said, "Mm, I don't know if you should say that. Because here's the problem. You won't. And so what God said is this. Obey and be blessed. Disobey. What comes after that? And be cursed. Well, you know what the problem with that covenant is? Disobey. Right? I need a better covenant, which, by the way, we have. We'll talk about that later. But I don't need an obey and be blessed, disobey and be cursed covenant, because here's the problem. I'm not very good at obeying. So if we got an obey and be blessed, disobey and be cursed, guess which one I'm, guess which, 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 which group I'm ending up in? How about the rest of you? I'm going to end up in the disobey and be cursed group. It's like, yeah, it's like you can, and listen, you can be arrogant like Israel was and say, that's okay, I'll take that covenant because I'll obey and be blessed. No, you won't. No, you won't. You're going to be standing right over here with me saying, should have taken that other covenant. Yes, we should have. Let's, let's talk about the new covenant. Let's keep going. Verse 33 says, but this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. So this is in the future. This is coming. I will, listen to this, listen to this, listen to this promise. I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. They shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them unto the greatest, saith the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Amen? Now, do you see the two-part promise? One, going to take care of your sin. Praise God. Two, going to give you a new heart. That's it. That's it. Honestly, I could just say amen We go home. But you need to lay hold of this. This is the promise of God. This is not a New Testament promise. The New Testament is a fulfillment of this promise. This is an Old Testament promise. Here's Adam's problem. He has sin, and he needs a new heart. And God says, and I'm going to meet both of those needs. I'm going to take care of your sin, and I'm going to give you a new heart. Amen? The Christ is going to come, and he's going to lay down his life to pay for your sin. And then the Christ is going to send forth 
the comforter, and he's going to live in you, and you're going to have a new heart, and everything's going to be different. Amen? And all of God's people just said, amen. And thank God. And I need that. And let's walk like that. That's what God says. Now go to Hebrews chapter 10, and we'll close. Hebrews chapter 10. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm chuckling because Hebrews chapter 10 versus Hebrews chapter 10. And it's long. And I'm not going to expound upon it. I may not even get all the way through it. But I do want you to hear it. I do want you to see it. Hebrews chapter 10. Now listen to me, because what, what this is going to do a far better job, because this is the Word of God, than I can in basically saying the same thing. But I wanted you to hear it all before you hear it all. Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never, with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually, make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to have been offered? Because that the worshipers once purged should have had no more conscience of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance again made of sin every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not. But a body hast thou prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, listen to our Lord Jesus, then said I, lo, I come. In the volume of the book it is written of me to do thy will, O God. Above, when he said, sacrifice and offering and burnt offering and offering for sin, thou wouldest not, neither had pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then he said, lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first that he may establish the second. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering, and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God, from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful? Now, I know I've said this many, many times, but this high priest, this is, now, now look up here, and this is going to be the end. The high priest has two things. He, he's responsible for two things. One, going to God on behalf of the people and bringing in the blood. Secondly, to come from God to the people and to pour out a blessing from God to the people. That was his responsibility. He would go into the Holy of Holies with the blood on behalf of us. And then after that blood had been applied, he could come out from God and say, because the blood has satisfied God, he has come out now and he wants to bless you. And he would literally, literally raise his hands. Now, people still do this in church. I promise you, when we do this in church, there's no power coming coming out of our hands, okay? It's just not what's happening. But when the high priest did it, it was really to pour out a blessing. Now, but here's what happens in your life. Jesus went into the Holy of Holies with one blood that really counts. Amen? 
And now He has sent forth the Holy Ghost into your life to do what? To pour out that continual blessing into your life. Yes? What did Jesus promise the woman at the well? This is what He said. Honey, you can come get this water every day and you're going to be thirsty every day. But I'm going to give you a water that will be a well springing up within you. That's going to be explained later, far better later on in the book of John. It's going to say, this spake he of the Holy Ghost, which was not yet given because he was not yet glorified. But I promise you that that picture in the Old Testament of the priest going in with the blood and coming out with the raised hands, Hebrews makes very clear Jesus does all of that. And the Holy Ghost is that blessing. And he lives within you and I now to give us a power, right? He says, when the gift comes, you shall receive dunamis. You shall receive power because that's the promise of God and you shall be witnesses unto me. Now, that's the end for today. This is kind of the beginning of the study. What we're going to do is we're going to look through John, Acts, and Romans together and it is my strong desire, I believe it's what God wants to accomplish, that we, the children of God, would begin to understand what Christ has done and is doing in us and for us, and what the power of the Holy Spirit is doing, changing our lives, that we might realize and recognize that we have, not might have, not could have, not will have, we have a complete salvation, and we can live a completely different life. Stand with me if you would. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the truths that we've seen together, just these simple truths that we see from your word. Thank you that you have forever, forever, forever made the one sacrifice that's necessary. And now by faith in your shed blood, in your finished work, whosoever doesn't have to perish. And we can gladly, faithfully, and without any doubt, go into all the world and say, I know someone that would rescue you. I know someone that would rescue you. I know someone that would rescue you. He so loves you that he would rescue you. I know that you're guilty. He knows that you're guilty. He will rescue you. Let him rescue you. Thank you, Father, for all these things. In Jesus' name, amen.